Well, good morning, Orchard Hills. Welcome again. My name is Sutton Wirt. Um, it's an honor to get to serve on staff here. Um, and it's an honor to share the word of God with you this morning. So I'm, I'm excited to do that. John and team, thank you all so, so much. That was a beautiful, beautiful time of, of worship through song. Well, if you haven't been with us in the past couple months, um, before Easter, we went through an overview of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Um, and what we looked at was kind of uh, this thing called the Romans Road, uh, which just goes through Romans looking at what is the gospel. And that's the question that we addressed. What is the gospel and why do we need it? <clears throat> and we said the gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's, it's the true story of the world, of what God is doing in the world. The good news of Jesus, who he is and what he did that changes everything. <clears throat> and so we saw in Romans 1 uh, that the story starts uh, with not good news, with a bit of a problem, um, that, that God is righteous, and because he's righteous, he's rightly angered at all of the sin and evil and brokenness and injustice that happens in the, in the good world that he created. Um, and then we saw in Romans 3 that, unfortunately, you and I are part of that problem. Um, because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory, have fallen short of his, his glorious standard. Um, and we saw in Romans 6 that the, the wages of sin, what sin earns, is death. Death is, is sin's just reward. Um, but then comes the good news. And, and we saw that in Romans 5, that um, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were enemies of God, Jesus gave himself for us so that we could be forgiven, that we could be made right with God and right with other people both now and forever. And so now, as we saw in Romans 10, um, everyone who believes in their heart that, that God raised Jesus from the dead and whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord will be saved. You'll be saved. And so that's the good news. Uh, the hope that we have in Jesus of being made right with God, right with each other, both now and for eternity. <clears throat> so we took a break from Romans for a couple of weeks um, to, to zoom in on the actual historical events of the gospel. Uh, the last days of Jesus' life, his death, his then resurrection. Um, and we, we looked at that um, through Easter um, but now we're going to take a little bit of a turn today. We're going to take the same turn that Paul takes in the book of Romans. Um, so we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 12, and it's there that, that the book kind of hinges. Um, and in Romans 12, Paul moves from the theoretical to the practical. Um, he moves from, okay, here's what happened. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what it means in your life. Here's how you receive him as your Lord. And then he moves to, okay, now, how do you live? What do you do? What does your life look like after you've experienced this transformative story, uh, the power of the gospel? And so that's where we are going to dive in today. So we're in Romans 12. <clears throat> this, is, um, this is on page 1123 of your pew Bibles. If you don't, well, not pews, these aren't pews, but... If you don't have a Bible with you, um, in front of these chairs, there's a Bible there, and it's page 1123. We're going to be in Romans 12, starting in verse 1. All right. <clears throat> Just the first two verses. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we um, have sung of uh, wanting to be more surrendered to you, of of giving you everything. Uh, And so, Lord, we pray that that would continue as we we hear your word today. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We want to be people who um, give everything for you because you've given everything for us. So, Lord, we uh, just pray that you would make yourself known to us through this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open the word to us, that we'd understand it, that it'd sink into our hearts. Um, We pray that you'd make Jesus and the gospel more beautiful to us today. Uh, Thank you for your love. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul begins, Therefore I urge you in view of God's mercy. So he starts this whole new section of the book with the word, Therefore. And a basic, um, a basic axiom or a, an accepted principle of studying Scripture is that when you, when you come to a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. Um, maybe you've heard that before, but it's actually really helpful. And so what this therefore means, the reason it's there, is that Paul is pointing back to everything that he's talked about so far, chapters 1 through 11, saying, therefore, in view of God's mercy, if In light of the gospel, if all of this is true, if what Jesus did and said is true, if you've died to your old self and been raised to a whole new kind of a life, then this is how you live. Therefore, if this is true, then this is how you live. So Paul is saying right here at the get-go, just in that little word, he's saying that it's impossible to receive the gospel and not live differently. It's impossible to receive the good news of Jesus and for it not to change you, for you not to be affected by it. Um, If everything that Jesus said is true, then it demands a response, demands a different way of life. And and notice the order, too, because this is important. Paul doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give you all this stuff that you got to do so that God will accept you. No, not at all. We are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. We don't, we don't earn it. It's not what we do, but it's what Jesus does. And so, so the order of things here is important. But what Paul is saying is he's saying, look at all that God has done. Look at his mercy. Look at how he has loved you. That kind of a love makes a whole new kind of a person. His love changes us. He, it changes us into people who live a new resurrected kind of a life. And here's what this looks like. And that's what he's going to spend the the next section of the book looking at, the next five chapters that we'll be in through the next couple of months here. Uh, But don't worry, we're only in two verses this morning. So he goes on, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Now, in view of God's mercy, he's giving us the the first thing to do. What do we do? How do we live this way? Um, And he says to offer your body as a living sacrifice, because that's your true worship. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, first, 
we have to untangle um, what we think of when we hear the word worship. Because what, what you and I think of when we hear the word worship is probably what we just did. Singing three songs in a dark room, some good music going. You know, that's kind of, we're like, oh yeah, going to worship and now we're done and there, life goes on. Um, but even though that is part of worship, that, that is only a part. Um, and, and, and that's what we think of when we hear worship. What first century Jews and Gentiles, the people that Paul was writing this letter to, what they would have thought of when they heard the word worship is sacrifice. That would have been what jumped to their minds. When they heard worship, they would have thought, oh yeah, sacrifice. They would have thought of bringing their, the, the first fruits of their crops, the best that they had, or the best animal that they had, killing it and then putting it on an altar to be burned. For them, that's worship. That is what, what they had in mind when they thought of worship. And that, notice, is exactly what Paul says to do here. He says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is true worship. Uh, the ESV there says this is spiritual worship. So don't miss this because this is important. Paul says that if you want to live the Christian life, if you want to worship God in the way that he wants to be worshipped, then, then he wants much more than singing three songs and listening to some guy who can't even grow a beard talk for 30 minutes. That is not what he wants. God wants our whole life. He wants everything that we are. God, Paul says, offer your body. And he's using that word to mean your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit. Everything you are, put it on the altar. Everything you are, everything you do, God wants all of you. That is worship. You climbing up on the altar. That's the picture that Paul's giving here. You don't put your you know, a part of your life up there. Don't put some fruit or an animal. You climb up the steps and you get on the altar. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. We don't just make this little spiritual box where, okay, you know, God gets my little hour on Sunday morning and that's nice. And then I've got all these other little boxes that are mine to do whatever I want with. That's not a life of worship. He demands everything. Giving him your whole physical life is true spiritual worship. And so true worship, just like we sang about, is nothing less than full surrender. Nothing less than full surrender. Giving him your whole self. I mean, so, so also what we see here is that while it costs us nothing to become a Christian, it's a free gift of God's grace it does cost us everything to live like one. That, that is what is holy and acceptable to God. He doesn't want our, our half-hearted, careless lip service. Because that's not us. That's not really giving us, giving him ourselves. He wants you. He wants the real you. And he wants you because he loves you and because he knows that that's what's best for you. That's what you were made for. And I think some of us are saying that we're, we're following Jesus, but we're bored or we're frustrated or we're just uninterested. And I think it's because we're holding back. We're not giving him everything. And so instead of, instead of putting ourselves on the altar, we're putting ourselves on the throne. We're saying, okay, God, I'm in charge here. You can have this. I can have this. 
But instead, he asks us to climb on the altar and give him everything. And as I've said before, it doesn't really work when we're on the throne because you and I are terrible lords of our life. We can't do it. We make a mess of things. We mess things up every day. But we were created to worship. We were made to give ourselves fully and joyful surrender to our God and King. That's where true life is found. That's where you will find the truest and deepest joy in this life. So get off the throne and get on the altar. That's step one in living out the gospel. Let's continue. He says in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, we begin by giving God everything and joyful response uh, to, to all that he's given us. And then Paul addresses one of the main reasons that I believe we don't do this. Um, and one of, the reason is this. It, it's the culture around us. Paul refers to it as this world. Now, this, this is a huge theme in the New Testament, one that Paul and Jesus and the other apostles um, all talk about a lot, this idea of, of the world as separate from the kingdom of God. Um, and the idea is this, that though we live in this current stage of the world, um, though, though we live in a world that is very much still under the influence of sin and death and brokenness and Satan, when we die to our old life and rise to new life in Christ, we are transferred, our, our citizenship is transferred, and we're no longer from here. We're from the next stage of the world, the new creation, the kingdom of God. In Badatat language, we ain't from around here anymore. <laughs> this isn't our home. However, this world that we still live in but are no longer from has a culture and a pattern of life and values and priorities that are, are different than those of the kingdom of God. And if we're going to climb up on the altar and surrender to God every day, um, then we're going to have to do two things. That's what Paul gives us here in this, in this verse. One, we're going to have to resist the pull of our culture. And then two, we're going to have to ask God to transform the way we think. So let's deal with the first one first. Uh, resist the pull of our culture. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, first, let me, let me say what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that our culture is all bad. Um, I'm not saying that engaging in cultural trends or keeping up with what's happening in our culture is a bad thing. Um, we need to be able to relate to the people that we're living with and around. We need to be able to connect with our culture. Um, and so that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that every culture, every world culture is, that is run by sinful, broken people um, is at some points fundamentally different from the kingdom of God because it has a different king. The king of every other culture except God's is self. And like I said earlier, we make terrible lords of our lives. And so every world culture has self in some way at the center, and it's telling a story. It's telling a certain story, and it has certain values and, and, and priorities and a vision for the good life. And so every culture is telling some kind of a story that's actually a false story. 
It's not entirely true. It's a false story because it has you at the center instead of God. And so this idea of false stories, I want to just share a couple, a couple of what these things might look like in our culture today. Um, I did not come up with these. I got these from a podcast I love to listen to called Knowing Faith. Um, it's out of Matt Chandler's church, uh, The Village in Flower Mound, Texas. Um, and I would highly recommend that to you. But I want to share these with us um, because I think, I think we might be surprised at some of the things that we believe that our culture just subtly slips in there and that we tend to accept as, as a good or right way to live our lives. So here are some of the false stories we might be believing. Romanticism. The story that tells you that you are your emotions. You are what you feel. That's what's most important. Consumerism. The story that tells you you are what you have. This one's sneaky. Pragmatism. This is the story that tells you whatever works must be true. If it's working, that's right. That's good. That's the truth. Postmodernism. This is underneath everything that our our culture is standing for right now. The story that tells you that there is no big true story of the world because all experiences and stories are equally valid. There's no truth. You can't know the truth. It's all true. We've talked about this before, secular humanism. The idea that the natural world we live in is all there is. And humans have no need for supernatural involvement. No need for outside help. Perfectionism, the story that tells you that you must be perfect, good, and right in order to be accepted. That's the opposite of the gospel. But a lot of us believe it. And then finally, this one. This one's particularly popular here in the Bible Belt, the section of the country that we live in that's that's more religious than the rest of the country. Um, And that is American civil religion. The story that tells you, let's just cut the rough edges off Christianity so that it's more palatable to our modern sensibilities. So those are some false stories that are woven into our culture that you and I are are tempted to believe all the time. None of us are are above the pull of, of, of being conformed to these stories. And the reality is that, that you and I will be conformed to something. Humans are very moldable creatures. We will be shaped and modeled after the image of something. Our lives will be conformed. Everything in our life is shaping and influencing us. That's why we call popular people on social media influencers. And so I want to ask you what stories or people are influencing you? What ideas might you have of the good life that actually end in death? What false stories are you believing and holding on to? And how can you know? Well, thankfully, Paul, Paul gives us the answer here. He says in, uh, in verse 2, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that leads us to the second thing here. If we're going to climb up on the altar every day and give ourselves fully in worship to God, then we're going to have to ask God to transform the way we think. 
Rather than allowing our culture and its influencers to tell us what to do, what to love, what to say, what to think, we have to to make the decision to turn from that and to ask God and to allow him to tell us what to love, what to say, what to think, what to do. And, And Paul says in the next part of the verse, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Y'all, God has a will for us. He has good plans. He has a vision for us. He has a vision of the good life that he wants to give us. If only we will trust him. If only we will believe that he knows what is right, that he can tell us what what is right to love, what's right to say and to think and to do. He wants to change us from the inside out. And Paul says that it starts here. It starts with changing the way that we think and the things that we think about. And one of the primary ways that God does that, um, one of the main ways that he refutes our, our selfish vision of life uh, and the, the, the false stories of this world is by telling us the true story of the world, which is revealed in his word, the Bible. Church, how can we expect to live like we're not of this world? That's what Jesus says in John 18. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. How can we expect to live like we're not of this world when all of our time and attention and focus is consumed with the things of this world? Think about how much time that you spend hearing false stories as opposed to how much time you spend hearing the true story of the Bible. Check this out. According to Forbes magazine, Americans spend an average, an average of 3.5 hours a day on social media. That's crazy. That's 3.5 hours consuming an influencer's vision of the good life, their priorities, their vision for what's right and true and good. Now think about how many hours a day you spend being influenced by God's word. Well, we charted it up uh, this week as staff. We were just talking about these things, thinking about these things. And um, we said that even if you were one of the, the more committed followers of Jesus here, maybe you spend 20 minutes in the morning in a devotional time. Maybe you go to church every Sunday, life group every week, small group with your friends. Even if you did all those things regularly, that would still only be about an average of 45 minutes a day in the Word of God. 45 minutes compared to 3.5 hours a day. And that's just social media, not to mention TV and books and movies and, and everyone that you meet exerting some kind of influence over you, telling you some kind of story that is generally false because it has you at the center instead of God. It's got you on the throne instead of on the altar. And it looks good, but ultimately it's a lie. Looks like it leads to life, but it leads to death. Church, how desperately we need God's word to influence us. How desperately we need his spirit to transform us. How desperately we need his people who are pointing us toward him to influence us toward God's vision of what is good and right That is the only way that we can wake up from the lie of self-focused living and become living sacrifices. Now, 
please realize that I don't, I don't say any of this to shame anybody. Um, this is a problem for all of us. This is something that we're all dealing with. But I, I say these things to wake us up to the battle that we're in. And it's not, hear, hear me, it's not a battle against the culture. Paul makes it very clear in, Rome, in Ephesians 6 that it's a battle against spiritual forces of darkness who, who do use culture and, and use all kinds of things to drag as many people with them to hell. The war's been won. Jesus has declared victory over sin and death and Satan. But the battle continues and we're in it now. And we need to wake up to it. One more thing to notice here. Paul doesn't say, transform yourself and think differently. He says, be transformed. Now, that verb is a passive imperative. Um, So that means that it's something that you have to do, but something that you can't do. Um, Kind of like, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or be given a raise by your boss. Um, you don't have the power to do those things. But, but you can position yourself in such a way that those things might happen. And that's how the Christian life works. You can't transform yourself, but you can put yourself in a position to be transformed. And so let's think about that a little bit. Maybe you're hearing these things and you're thinking, man, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need to be transformed. Or maybe you're wondering like, man, am I living on the altar? Am I living on the throne? Where, where's my life right now? A great tool to evaluate that is to think about how you spend your time, your treasures, and your talents. Time, treasures, talents. Look at your schedule, your calendar, look at your bank account, and look at your abilities and how you're using them. That's going to tell you pretty quick whether you're living your life in service to yourself or in service to the king of kings. Look at your calendar. Look at your bank account. Look at where you're spending your abilities. So that's a little bit of a diagnostic tool. Um, But if we're going to put ourselves in a position to be transformed, how might we do that? So kind of two sides to that coin. Negatively, we can put some some limits on ourselves. That's kind of an unpopular idea. Our culture is like, yeah, do whatever you want. It's your life. Live your best life. Live your truth. Do whatever you want to do. Um, but that's not the way to life. That, that's a vision of the good life that ends in death. And so we actually have the ability to put limits on ourselves. Um, limit your social media. Your phone can tell you how much social media you're consuming, and you can set a limit for yourself on there. Do it. Make some space in your life for God. Limit your TV. We put pretty tight limits on TV in our house um, because we see that the, the stories that come through TV shows, the stories that come through movies affect us and affect our kids and affect what we want to live for and what we want to do and what we expect with our lives. So I'm not saying TV's bad, but, but think about what you're watching. Think about the story that you're ingesting. Talk with your kids about it. Limit, limit the amount of media that comes into your home. Turn off your radio when you're in the car. You don't have to always be listening to someone selling you some kind of message. Listen to the Lord. Talk with him while you're driving. These are some of the, the limits we can put on ourselves. On the other side of the coin, positively, You could begin your day in God's word. 
You can allow him to be the first voice that comes and speaks in from the outside, the first influence that you're hearing every day. Prioritize time with people that are going to point you to Jesus. Make it a point to get with friends who are going to influence you toward the Lord and not away from him. You could memorize scripture. That's kind of a a lost art Uh, But it is so, so valuable because the things that we memorize shape us. You know, we're always quoting movies or quoting songs. We've got all these cultural catchphrases. But what if you were more regularly quoting scripture? What if that was what was flowing out of you, the way that you saw the world, the lens through which you were were thinking? My mom made me memorize scripture uh, from as early as five years old. And, uh, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, whatever. But now... It's in my heart still. Those same scriptures that I memorized when I was five are still there, and they still provide a lens through which I can see the world and see what God wants. You could pray for people and issues that arise throughout the day. You don't have to ask Google what to do. You could ask the Lord what to do. You don't have to ask social media influencers to tell you how to dress or how to act or how to think about something, but you could ask the Lord how to think and what to do, how to live, how to love. You could establish um, a family devotion time or family worship time. Um, over the past year, as our girls have gotten a little older, we've begun to, uh, as best as we can, get together after breakfast in the morning, sing a song, read some scripture, and, and pray together. And that shapes the way that our family thinks about itself. It shapes the way that we think about our days and how we go out into the world to work and to play and to be with people. And these are just some examples. There's all kinds of ways that you can position yourself to be transformed by God and by his word and by the Holy Spirit. You have the power to do that. And so these are, these are some examples, but the point is this. You will not truly worship God by putting yourself on the altar if you are constantly being influenced by the voices of our culture, selling you their false stories that put you on the throne instead of God. But you will only live the surrendered life that you are called to and made for when through the influence of God's word and the influence of his spirit and his people in the transforming of your mind, you begin to realize that the stories our culture is selling are lies because they exalt self instead of God. When you begin to realize that you were created, you were made to give your whole self and worship to God that he has more reward waiting for you than the world ever could, that he is more infinitely valuable and beautiful than anything else you can imagine. And that following him and giving your life in surrendered worship is the greatest, sweetest, deepest joy that you can possibly find. That's how we live in light of the gospel. We get off the throne and we climb up on the altar because we trust him. We trust that the king is good, that he can handle it, and that what he says is true. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds like a death sentence. 
But he said, whoever would, would, lo- would save their life will lose it, but whoever will lose their life for my sake will find it. Friends, that is the path to life in the kingdom of God. Get off the throne and get on the altar. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come um, repenting for the ways that we try to run our lives, to be in charge, to manage everything. Lord Jesus, teach us this this new way of life. It's an upside-down way of life. It's an upside-down kingdom that we're a part of now. Would you show us this new resurrection life, this way of dying to ourselves so that others might live, this way of of putting ourselves on the altar as as a living sacrifice so that we might find true, lasting life and things that are beyond the here and now. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our obsessions with what's in front of us. Forgive us for all of the ways that we doubt what you've told us and believe the false stories of our culture. Lord, would you change us? Would you transform our minds? Would you show us where we need to be um, putting limits and boundaries on the ways that, that our culture creeps into our lives? And would you show us where we need to surrender today? Lord, for every one of us, whether we're following you or, or, or not today, um, I know that there's, there's something that you're tugging at each of our hearts for right now, a new step in our process of surrendering to you. Lord, thank you that you're patient with us, that your sacrifice covers us, that you love us, that you understand that this is hard for us, that you know what it's like to be human. So Lord, I pray against any discouragement in the room right now, but that there would just be encouragement to give even more to you because you can be trusted. Holy Spirit, move and work amongst our hearts right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.